Okay, today is August the 4th, 2011. We'll prepare ourselves for the study of God's Word. A few moments of silent prayer, rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness in providing everything for us, for the freedom we have to be here, to study your word. We live in desperate times and we need your strength. We need the knowledge of how to not only survive, but indeed become overcomers even in the devil's world. We need to be able to rise above our circumstances. No matter what happens, we're able to keep our composure, our confidence, our courage. We recognize that we cannot do that on our own. In everything, we depend upon your grace. And your grace is always sufficient. So we pray that you will help us to focus this evening. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I hope that y'all will... Indulge me for a few minutes. Is this too loud? Okay. Um, I just com feel compelled to spe uh, speak out on something that um, I would compare, I guess, in magnitude to what happened December the 23rd, 1913, when the Congress uh, passed what is known as the Federal Reserve Act. They passed that law between 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. in the morning. That's one day before um, Christmas. There was just a handful of people there. By 6 o'clock that evening on the uh, 23rd, it was signed into law by President Woodrow Wilson. And we have suffered for all these years. That was 98 years ago. And something that I see as nearly to that magnitude uh, happened this, this very week. Now, the Federal Reserve is a private corporation, and it prints money, so-called money, Federal Reserve notes, for just a few cents is what it costs them. And yet then they charge us the full face value of those bills when we borrow them, and they create the money essentially out of thin air, and to add uh, insult to injury, they uh, charge interest on top of all that. Um, and you might think, <clears throat> why would the Congress and congressmen and senators abide that? Why would they allow that to happen? And when you start looking at what they receive from it, you can understand that the Federal Reserve promises them unlimited amount of funds, no limit. And so when there's no limit to funds, they are able to promise the people anything because there is no limit and they don't have to raise taxes in doing it. And so this is, of course, how they uh, endeavor to be reelected. Essentially, they're buying votes. 
But the thing that underlies this that a lot of people don't see is that the invisible tax of inflation, the cruelest of all, has been eating away uh, for all these uh, 98 years since that has uh, been passed. Uh, this week, there was an, uh, something that was close to this. Um, I, I, at least I'm comparing it to it. Uh, the Federal Reserve Act was done clandestinely. Uh, the people didn't even know what had hit them. But now what happens, everything is done. Of course, this was, the Federal Reserve Act was totally unconstitutional. It was really a criminal act. But now they don't have to do it clandestinely, they do it right out in the open. And what I'm talking about is um, what is called the, um, the debt deal. You see, I think that a fundamental change in the structure of government took place right under the nose of the people and they don't even recognize it and what this will mean for us. The fact is that um, there is now 13 people that are going to decide our economy, what it will be, what, what, what uh, programs will be uh, cut, what, which ones will stand, uh, all this 13 people. Now normally there's 535 people that have say over these type of issues. There's 435 in the House of Representatives and there are 100 senators. And that has now been reduced down to 13. Um, and the checks and balances that were built into our system is missing now with regards to those 13 people. The founders were very careful about the checks and balances, the system that we have. Each state has two senators and each, some states are much larger. They have bigger populations. And so uh, they wouldn't like the idea of having the same uh, vote that a, a much smaller state may have. So we have the House of Representatives, which is represented by population. And so you have an even thing there. Whenever a, a bill is passed, it has to go not only through the system in the House of Representatives, which is where they are originated, also it has to go to the Senate that has to be approved also. Then it goes to the president. The president has to sign it. All these are checks and balances that are going on. If the president does not sign it, if he vetoes it, it goes back to the House, goes back to the Senate, and requires a two-thirds vote in each of those houses, or in the House and the Senate, for it to become law. Now, uh, these, all these checks and balances that we're talking about now, when... Uh, I, we have 13 people that are going to decide such things instead of uh, 535. You can see that uh, this can create uh, a problem, or a huge problem, I might say. Uh, this committee is called uh, uh, by a super committee. And there was um, this phony debt ceiling drama to instill fear and panic uh, so that the people wouldn't ask too many questions. It's always the deal, isn't it, that we have to hurry up and do this or the, there's going to be catastrophe. You hear that word a lot these days. 
they, they didn't hear questions like, and I, I've never heard one person all this whole time I've been listening and I've been researching and reading. Not one person has asked what I think is a critical question. Where does the Constitution give authority to create such a committee? Of course, it doesn't. No one's asking the question, though. Uh, who does this committee answer to? Oh, there's a lot of uh, questions that you could ask. Um, now, why would, why would the representatives vote for such a thing? Why would they have such a, a, a huge change in operation? Well, what it gets, it, they, they, they are for that for the same reason that there's no longer a declaration of war. They don't insist on a declaration of war, and the reason they don't is because they don't want to be held accountable. If a war uh, is instigated, and we've had several of them since World War II, that uh, was Pearl Harbor, that was the last time that a declaration was, of war was given, which is according to how we are supposed to operate. But if it goes bad and they didn't declare it, then they can dodge accountability. And now it's the same thing with what we see here is the fact that whatever happens with regards to this committee, the heat is not on them. The heat will be on the committee. Of course, again, the Constitution doesn't say anything about a committee. It does not give them the right to abrogate their responsibility in handling these issues, but that's probably the reason uh, that's behind it. <coughs> The idea that um, we're going to cut spending, that there's going to be a reduction in this, uh, and there, there won't be any more um, of these uh, debt limits to face, uh, raising the debt limit, they call it. Uh, this is a quote by, uh, I just saw this on the Internet today, a guy named Robert, uh, Roger, that's my sunglasses, uh, Roger Ringer, he says, the debt ceiling will continue to be raised again and again and again. It's been raised 75 times since 1962. And the U.S. debt will continue to spin out of control. Government agencies and programs will keep growing until their employees are paid with worthless dollars, are not paid at all. And there is 100% certainty that when government employees don't get paid, it will lead to protests. Protests will be followed by civil unrest, followed by violence, followed by a government crackdown on civil liberties. I'm, I'm going to bring this to a close, and I know that I am probably sticking my neck out some by uh, giving you this information as to what is happening, but I don't think, think the people realize what is happening. They don't understand the gravity, and that's a shame because we have become so dumbed down, and we are no longer even give a, a, a wink at the Constitution, and that's what separates us from banana republics. We are supposed to live by uh, a standard, the law, the highest law in the land, the Constitution. Every official in government take an oath to uphold it. And, of course, none of this uh, seems to uh, change matters. The reason I'm telling you this, the reason I'm doing it is because I think 
that there are hard times ahead. I think there are very hard times. And we need to deal with reality as it is. We need to be ready uh, spiritually. That means that we are able to, in every circumstance, be able to have confidence and courage and not be rattled. I don't know what all is going to happen, but all the indicators show that we're, in, we're going to be in for a rough ride. And I am saying all this to implore you to continue to keep doctrine your number one priority. It is the only thing that does not change. It is the thing that reaches down in us and gives us the ability to endure, to grab on to those promises, to maintain that personal sense of eternal destiny. And so that's it. I wanted to say that. Now we'll go to Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 review. Okay, we. Uh, I guess I better put up first the um, PowerPoint. This one. This one I can go to uh, a lot of times because it shows so much. We see in, in Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, chapter two, that the day of the Lord is going to occur at some point in the future. And it has two parts to it. It has a judgment part that happens at the beginning, and then it has a blessing part that occurs towards the end. It's a day of, of or a time of judgment, a time of blessing. And we've, we've looked at that in detail. We looked at the five seals, the trumpets, and the bold judgments that all happened during this time. Uh, this particular, from here, from this point to here, is the tribulational period. This is the rapture occurs before then, and what we have to be ready to stand firm and defend the faith is the timing of the rapture, because it's very important for us to rightly divide the word of truth, especially with regards to this issue, because there is a lot of confusion as to the rapture itself, but especially when it comes to as to when. Is it going to occur? And the day of the Lord in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 says that it's going to be preceded by the apostasia. We spent some time into that word last time. The apostasy will come first. The apostasy, apostasia in the Greek, has the cognate ophistomy, and that means literally in the time in which it was written, at the time this is the asagogical context is that it would happen uh, in a way that there would be a departure. It doesn't mean just a departure from the, from the truth. It was talking about, in, in context, a real departure. And we went through the different scriptures that says that. So that's one thing that has to happen before this day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, in a broad sense, inco incorporates both these phases, uh, but 
But what will happen before then is the departure has to happen. We went into that in detail. And we also uh, found that the man of sin, the Antichrist, is going to be revealed uh, prior to the day of the Lord. And that's when we have to start really being careful because that's in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. In verse 4, it starts talking about what we see here in the middle of the tribulational period, the abomination of desolation. And there is a description of that that just follows verse 3. Verse 3 says that the Antichrist will be revealed before the day of the Lord. And some people get mixed up. They think, okay, since verse 4 is talking about the abomination of desolation, that must be when he's going to be revealed. And you can understand to a degree how they come to that conclusion because he is going to be revealed in a sense. He's going to show his true colors. He's going to go into the temple. Prior to that time, you, you have the uh, uh, Babylon, the great, the great harlot, referring to the one world religion that will be dominant at that point at the midpoint that's going to change and so he's going to reveal his true um, his tactics his true self is going to show that he is going to pronounce himself as god babylon is going to be destroyed that new that that uh, one world religion will be set aside it'll be destroyed he'll set himself up as god to be worshiped now you can understand that that is some way how they think that it's that he's going to be um, revealed at the midpoint of the tribulation. But there are some major problems with that, and that's what we're going to deal with where we pick up our study tonight. And we are going to be in... Let's see, where are we going to be? I'll just show you the notes up here. I have it, by the way, in 24 font tonight. This is a new computer... We're still trying to get it all together, and last time we didn't have it in 24 font, tonight we do. The answer to the question, the question as to when the Antichrist is going to be revealed is so important because it has to do with when the rapture is going to take place. The rapture has to precede that. And if it doesn't happen until the midpoint of the tribulation, then it means that we would have to go through at least three and a half years of the ghastly horrors of the tribulation. We looked at this already, and one of the major problems is that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, it says that the day of the Lord will come like uh, at a time when people will be saying peace and safety. You have the, fi the five um, the sealed judgments, and, and those consist of, of war and famine and pestilence and earthquakes, and it's just going to be... Uh, beyond what has ever happened before. So the point is no one at the midpoint of the tribulation is going to be saying peace and safety. So we can, we, that's one of the indicators that uh, the day of the Lord is going to begin at the beginning. Furthermore, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, 6, and 8, we have that the, the Greek word there is in the passive voice. God is orchestrating this. He is in complete control. The Antichrist would like to set up his whole system right now. The sooner, the better. But he can't do it until it is God's timing. And so it is God that is going to bring in the revelation of the Antichrist because it's in the passive voice. And if you'll remember from last time, 
when the Antichrist goes into the, uh, tr- the temple at the midpoint of the tribulation, that's in the active voice. He can accomplish that because, uh, <clears throat> because God allows him to do it. But him actually being revealed is what God is going to be uh, bringing about. Uh, the first seal broken at the start of the tribulation. Turn in your Bibles or you can just follow me in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Now, you might think, why am I going to such detail about this? Because I want you to be able to substantiate in your own soul the fact that you can have complete confidence that we will not go through the uh, wrath of God during this tribulational period. It's not for us. It's for Israel. It's for unbelievers. We are the bride of Christ, or will be. We're the body of Christ right now. We're not going to be going through it. Uh, Revelation chapter 6, verse 1 through 2. Now, this is my contention. What this is describing is when the Antichrist is going to be revealed, not the midpoint right at the beginning. And I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals. Who is the Lamb? Jesus Christ. He breaks the seals. Nothing happens until He breaks the seals. Then things start happening. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, Come... And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Just a few points here. First of all, he's riding a white horse. Satan is a great counterfeiter. When the true, when the true Messiah, when the... King of kings and Lord of lords returns in Revelation chapter 19. What is he going to be riding? A white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow. Now the bow is an instrument of war, but it doesn't have any arrows here. So that would indicate that he is going to conquer using some kind of strategy, but it's not going to be violence involved with arrows. It's going to be political. Politically, he's going to take over the world. And he has a crown. What is Jesus Christ going to be wearing when he comes back? Many crowns. And this crown, notice, was given to him. It's something that he received. Something that God allowed him to have, to give to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. Now this is my contention, is that this is when Antichrist is revealed, which is before, or or excuse me, after the rapture has already taken place. The day of the Lord will begin after he's revealed and this is going to be when he is revealed. By the way, um, well, uh, configuring my updates. Do you know what to do with that? (laughs) Pray. (laughs) <laughs> huh? Well, it just... Well, it hadn't got... I, I still have the light. Just turn it on. There is no internet. See what you can do for me, will you? Uh, okay, so we know that this revealing of Antichrist has to happen before the day of the Lord, and that's when I say that it's going to happen. 
Another thing that the Antichrist is going to do, which we get from the book of Daniel, that he is, this is Daniel chapter 9, that he is going to make a treaty, a covenant, a compact with Israel for seven years. And this is going to exclude them from uh, any of the ecumenical one world religion that's going to be going on then. They're going to be able to rebuild their temple. They're going to be able to reinstigate uh, the sacrificing of animals. One reason they don't do that now is because they don't have a temple. And I don't think that this is going to take place. I don't think the temple is going to be constructed until this contract is made. Uh, right now, if the, or the Jews went over there and started trying to build a temple, you can imagine, it would be like stirring up an ant bed. It would be, uh, th this is... This is the way I think it will go down. But my point is that he is going to be a world leader. Geopolitically, he is going to stand out. Everyone is going to know who he is. I would say that is a revelation, wouldn't you? That he is going to be revealed then. He's not going to be obscure. He's going to make this contract with Israel. Now, that making of the contract is what starts the tribulational clock ticking. The tribulation does not begin when we're raptured. A lot of people think the instant that we're raptured, that treaty is going to be made and that's when the clock starts. But there could be, a, we don't know what the period of time between when we are out of here, when we are uh, resurrected or translated into heaven. We don't know how long it will be until this treaty is made, which actually starts the tribulation. What it appears, this is what we can deduce, is that, when we go, the world is going to be in chaos. I mean, when you have millions of people worldwide that disappear and there's going to be plane crashes, car crashes. I mean, if you have a family and let's say a husband and wife are traveling in, tra in uh, traffic in Houston and they're, they're out of there and maybe, you know, uh, 25 more right in their view are gone also, what's going to happen to those cars? Uh, it's going to be such a calamity that the world will not be able to explain it. They're going to think it probably are, were aliens that came. And the racial distinctions, the religious distinctions, all the, the, the national distinctions, all these things are not going to make that much difference because they're afraid that this was the first hit and they're going to be hit again. That uh, now, now another, whatever it is, is going to come and get another whole batch of them. And who knows, they might say they're taking them to Mars or uh, someplace and they're going to uh, use them for hamburger meat. I don't know what they're going to come up with, but it's going to scare the daylights out of everybody. And this is the perfect environment for someone like Antichrist to come on the scene. And I think this is what's going to be happening in that interim period between when the rapture occurs and when this treaty is made. But it, but it means that this Antichrist has to come on the scene prominently in order to do something that no one has been able to do so far, and that is bring peace to the Mideast. And it looks like he is going to do it. It appears that he is going to be able to manage that. And when that occurs, that's what starts the uh, tribulational clock ticking, and that is when the day of the Lord is going to start right after uh, the tribulational starts, Tribulation starts with the uh, treaty. Uh, I don't know exactly how long it's going to be, but it's going to be very shortly after that, that the day of the Lord, how is it going to appear? 
like a thief in the night. It's going to be a surprise because what's going to happen is uh, it, it could be that part of the process of this Antichrist bringing a supposed peace on earth. He's going to tell everyone, I've got the solution. I've got the answers. Listen to me. And you can just uh, relax because there's going to be peace and prosperity. He's going to say, peace, peace. And there's not going to be peace for very long, but the people are going to buy into it. They're going to think that he is able to manage this. He's able to bring peace in the Mideast. And shortly thereafter, what's going to happen? The day of the Lord is going to begin. That's the first seal, see? It's him coming on the scene. And he's going to be politically connected. He's going to have all this going on. You know what the second, second uh, seal is? It's war. I'm pretty sure it's war. Isn't that right? It's war. Uh, there's going to be pestilence and there's going to be famine. All these things. God is going to start pouring out his wrath. So my point is he is already revealed which is going to take place. We're out of here. He is revealed. And we're going to see in a moment there's one other thing that has to take place and that is the one that restrains him now will be removed. That's one of those three things that has to happen before the day of the Lord begins. And the day of the Lord is the pouring out of God's wrath on Israel, unbelieving world, during the tribulation. Thank you, Ken. I've, I've just uh, told you uh, all this that we're looking at here. Look at Daniel 11:21. And in his estate shall stand up a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Now, what does is, what is the Antichrist do? Antichrist is the puppet, puppet of Satan. And what is Satan? He is the great deceiver. He is the counterfeiter. And everything that God is going to do in reality, in truth and honor, he is going to mimic. He is going to counterfeit. So he is uh, allegedly going to bring in a millennium. Who else can you think of? Uh, probably not in... He wasn't alive in my day, but he was in some of your day. Who else did that? He was going to bring in a new millennium. He was a short guy with a funny looking mustache. You know who he was. He was going to bring in a new millennium. I don't know what these... Uh, hit the X? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Now, we went through verses 1 through... 4 and 5 here, and those are huge verses. These are some of the most controversial verses in the Bible. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and those verses because not many people understand what the day of the Lord is. They don't know what the apostasy is. They don't know when the Antichrist is going to be revealed. And they get it all mixed up. So verse 6 says, And you know what restrains him. The him there is Antichrist. And you know what restrains him now. He's talking to the Thessalonians. He didn't have to explain. They already knew it. So that in his time, he, Antichrist, may be revealed. So something is going to restrain him until the right time comes. What restrains? This is in the neuter gender. And how about this? The Holy Spirit, the word pneuma, spirit, 
is in, guess what gender? The neuter gender. And some people would want to make something out of that and say, well, the Holy Spirit isn't a part of the Trinity. He is a force that comes out. He's not uh, just like in the Star Wars, the force will be with you, some kind of thing like that. Well, spirit, pneuma, is sometimes translated wind, sometimes breath, spirit. Uh, One thing it doesn't ever uh, refer to is a ghost. There is no Greek word for ghost. Unfortunately, 400 years ago, the King James Version came out with the Holy Ghost. And it was an unfortunate translation because pneuma does not mean ghost. It means spirit. And so now you have people all mixed up and they uh, got ghostbusters and they uh, try to... Uh, well, anyway, it's just a mess. No. So it's in, the whole, it's in the neuter gender. It says, may be revealed. This is in the passive voice. The Antichrist cannot be revealed until God brings him onto the scene which will be after the restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit is removed. And it's going to be removed by the rapture of the church. We are all, as believers, indwelt with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter if you're the worst believer that ever took a breath. You still have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Hopefully, all of us right now have the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that is a restraining ministry when you have millions of, of believers that have the Holy Spirit in them. This is part of the restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, when it says the Holy, the, this restrainer is going to be removed, it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is just going to get out of Dodge and leaves everything behind because they still has, there will still be the Holy Spirit ministry. At least some of them will still be on earth during the tribulation, because we know there's going to be uh, hundreds of thousands of believers, and what must they have in order to believe the gospel? They have to have common grace. They have to have the ministry of the Holy Spirit working as a human spirit so that they can understand the gospel, because the gospel is spiritual phenomenon, a phenomenon, and they are spiritually dead. Verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, did you see the change there? We had the Holy Spirit uh, in the neuter, and now we're having, uh, well, excuse me, I, I said the Holy Spirit. Let's just call it the restrainer. The one, uh, what restrains him now uh, is, um, is the Holy Spirit. And now we have only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. The he who now restrains is an article. It's a non-singular masculine. So now the restrainer, it was referred to in, or who, who or whatever it was was in the neuter. Now it's referred to as in the masculine. Greek also uses masculine pronouns, he and him, to refer to the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 26, John 15, 26, and John 16, 13, 14, 13 and 14, we have the Holy Spirit and we have the pronouns preceding him 
even him is a pronoun, and it is in the masculine gender. So what I'm saying is the characteristics of the restrainer fit the Holy Spirit. So he who restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. When God decides to move the restrainer, the Antichrist will be revealed, and this will allow the judgment phase of the day of the Lord to begin, where all unbelievers, Jews, and Gentiles will suffer the worst period of human history. The church, the bride of Christ, will depart via the rapture before that happens. Verse 7 through 10, we have people are deceived by signs and false wonders. This is what the Antichrist is going to have abilities. He's going to be able to do things that are going to deceive nearly everyone. Even some of the elect are going to be deceived. You know, even right now, they can do things up in the sky with lasers and fireworks. Even a long time ago when I, was, uh, I went to Disney World. Where's Carrie? When did we go? Was it 20 years ago? 85. 85. See, she remember, I don't remember. It is. 85. Anyway, even then, they had this huge firework display, and they had lasers and everything going in there. It was a, a big lake with all the different countries uh, uh, shown around it, and I was so taken with that, and that was that long ago. Just think what they can do now, and I'm sure that there are developments, things that they have that the general public, don't even, we don't even know about it, and they're going to convince a lot of people uh, with these signs and wonders. Deception will peak when the Antichrist is revealed. Uh, look at Romans 16, 17 through 18. Now I urge you, brethren, to keep your eyes on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learn, and turn away from them, for such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites and by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Over and over in the New Testament, it says, Be alert. Wake up. Don't be caught off guard. Don't fall, the, fall for the lies and the deception. And it, just to get the point, we have a few verses here. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Do not be deceived. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Do not be deceived. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. James 1, 6. Ephesians 5, 6. Let no one deceive you. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. Let no one in any way deceive you. 1 John 3, 7. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. Matthew 24, 4. Take heed that no man deceive you. 2 Timothy 3, 13. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Titus 1.10 For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, which is talking about the Jews. Is the Bible trying to tell us something? What is the great danger out there? To be deceived. And the antidote to being deceived is to have the truth God's Word circulating in your stream of consciousness. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say that? I'm talking about in your conscious mind. We all have a subconscious. Uh, we have a hard drive, and our brain is like a hard drive, and most of it is not even brought up. It's not on the screen. But when I say to have the Word of God, doctrine circulating in your stream of consciousness, it means it's on the screen. It means you can see it. You're using it. 
And we need to bring it up and have it on the screen all the time. Some believers, I don't even know if they have a screen. If they do, they don't act like it. The Antichrist will be different from every other deceiver because he will deceive the whole world. It's coming. Sometimes I think we're pretty close. I'm the, uh, turning as far as imminency. He could return before we're done here. Revelation and Satan who deceives the whole world. Thirteen fourteen. He deceives on earth. He's not going to be deceiving us. He's going to be on earth. What is planned when we're done with Second Thessalonians? Uh, things that I haven't even shown. It just came to uh, Revelation eighteen twenty three. All nations were, which means will be, by your sorcery. Revelation three. And he threw him, threw him into the uh, Satan. And he shut it and sealed it over him so that the world would not, that he would need at least for a short time. See, it's all in God's time. And the seven-year period is over and Jesus turns to a once-anointed cherub as Lucifer who now has the... And he's going to take that devil and pit. He can't do a thing about it. he be locked up for a thousand years. He's going to start to do something. Man, this is going to be great. Everybody's going to live. No deception from Satan. Perfirement. Oh, he's still going to use it to release. By the time that Satan is released, and released at the end of the... the he's going to as good as those at the end of the sea. There's that. It, 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 this is incredible. Chapter 20, verse 8. And will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. This is what he's going to do, Satan. Those who believe the lies and antichrist and reject the gospel are going to perish. What do we know this as? There is a term we just went over recently. What is it? The baptism of fire. They're going to be identified with fire. Fire is judgment. When Jesus Christ comes, He's going to clean house. The millennium, His rule will begin with nothing but believers. Satan will be tossed off the planet. The false prophet and antichrist will be thrown alive into the lake of fire. And you would think, man, this is going to be great. It starts out great. But there's still that sin problem. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing, present middle participle, foolishness. But to us who are being saved, present passive participle, it is the power of God. So to those who are perishing, they're in the process of perishing, why are they in the process of perishing? Why does anyone perish? They perish because they reject the free gift of God offered simply by believing in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. But thanks be to God who always leads us, referring to believers, in His triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of knowledge of Him. The knowledge of Him. The more knowledge you have to God, that is as a sweet aroma. It, it goes back to the, the tabernacle and the temple when they had the altar of incense, which represented the prayers going up to God. And if, we could, if any of us could be in a time machine and go back to the temple, and we were allowed to go into the temple and experience what that was like, it would be the highlight of our life. All the senses, visual Audio, smelling, everything was absolutely uh, terrific. And I think it's, look at this, to God, the sweet aroma is knowledge of Him. That would be knowledge of doctrine. 
And it will be in every place. For we, believers who, are, who give the gospel, are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved. Uh, being saved is referring to uh, experientially sanctified. I could, I could stop right now and say, do you know the difference? Boy, if you don't know the difference by now, you had not been here much or you need to get an aid, an hearing aid. Or I need to do something different. You all know it by now. And among those who are perishing that reject the gospel. To the one, the believer, it's an aroma. Excuse me. To the one, the unbeliever, it's an aroma from death. That would be spiritual death to death. Why don't you all go to 2 Corinthians and put these notations in your Bible so this will make sense to you. Because you're not going to remember this. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 For we, referring to believers and who give out the gospel, are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved. Who, who is that talking about, to those who are being saved? That's talking about believers. Believers who are in the process of being experientially sanctified. And then you have, the, I'm sure it's the word kai, and among those who are perishing, that would be those who reject the gospel. To the one, the unbeliever, the gospel is an aroma from death, that is from spiritual death to death, which is eternal death, the second death. To the other, the believer, an aroma from life, which is spiritual life, to life would be eternal life. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. For we believe who the gospel, for we, believers who, believe, who give the gospel, are fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved. That would be believers who are growing up. They're in the process of being experientially sanctified and among those who are perishing. The only problem is to the ones who are perishing, to the unbelievers, it's an aroma of death because they reject it. From spiritual death to death. It says from death to death, but it means from they're spiritually dead and they're going to be eternally dead, which is referring to the second death, which they'll experience at the great white throne judgment. And to the other, the believer, it's an aroma from life, spiritual life, to eternal life. And eternal life is used in the sense of taking hold of eternal life. Remember when we were studying that? It is the abundant life. This, this life, see, this is connected to the ones who are being saved, that are being essentially, experientially sanctified. To them, a believer who's representing God is a sweet aroma to them and they go from this aroma of life in their spiritual life to eternal life. But this isn't the eternal life that happens at salvation. It's the eternal life that we studied. And we are going to get to it because it's in Second Thessalonians when I just broke into the whole thing and said, Okay, we're going to look at the other kind of eternal life. Y'all remember that? Hope so. We'll be at it quickly. 
And then I think, I don't know, I think, well, yeah, we might, I have time just to touch on this a bit. In verses 11 and 12, we are in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. There's a disturbing thing for some people. God will send upon them a deluding influence. Divine hardening was never arbitrarily implemented, but was in response to rejection of God's authoritative words or standards. Some propose that God allowed or permitted deception rather than causing or actively promoting it. The article's uh, thesis is this. I got this from uh, the, one of the journals, theological journals. God is truthful in that He keeps His unconditional promises to His people and fulfills His sovereign decrees and oaths. We're going to see more about oaths Sunday. God's commitment to the fruitfulness, excuse me, truthfulness, however, does not mean that He never uses deceit as a method of judgment on sinners. He does, not, he does so without compromising His truthful character and righteousness. What essentially God is going to give them is what they want. They don't want the truth. They want to believe the lie. Some think that God's, God sends anyone rejecting the gospel before the tribulation a deluding influence so that they cannot believe it during the tribulation. Have you ever heard that before? In other words, if you've heard the gospel before the rapture and the rapture occurs and you don't go, then you don't have a chance because God is sending this deluding influence on you. Y'all have never heard of that? I forget. Y'all kind of stay in. <laughs> or we go in different circles, I guess. These are things to consider. The policy of God deluding stiff-necked, Christ-rejecting rejectors is nothing new. It can be found in, not only in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. There's, we, when we were in 1 Kings, we were talking about a prophet that God sent to give them a, a uh, deluding influence. The rapture will no, will no doubt convince many who are unbelievers to believe the validity of the gospel and the Bible. There will be hundreds of thousands, if not millions of believers in the tribulation. Where did they come from? The fact that they are in the tribulation means they either didn't hear the gospel or they rejected it prior to the tribulation. You got that? Because if they, had any, if they were believers, they'd be gone. Second Peter is still true even during the tribulation. The Lord is not slow about His promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. This is kind of tantamount to when the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart and there are, are Calvinistic people who would say, uh-huh, see, he wasn't chosen, and so God hardened his heart. No, what happened is, that first of all, it says that, that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And then it was later, after so long a time, that God gave him what he wanted. He wanted to continue to stand up against God and to arrogantly defy him, and so he gave him the opportunity to do it. And when he did that, God was glorified. Look at all the miracles and all the, uh, the plagues and so forth that came about. That was 2 Peter 3.9, 2 Peter 3.13. 
God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and in truth. This is where we're going to stop. This is going to start a new subject matter. Where is my... It's amazing how in this short, this much space, I can lose something like that three times in one message. There. Okay. Um, I hope this is helpful. I hope this sparks some of those uh, memory traces of what we've had. Um, next time, one of the things we're going to go over is, you remember the doctrine of separation? You remember the doctrine of eternal life? There's one in there uh, in of uh, John 5 that I'm not even going to do because uh, I, I've got to, I'm trying to distill this for it to be a review and not just reteaching the whole thing. I know that some of you think, well, is he just teaching the whole thing again? No, I'm just barely hitting highlights. But there are certain things in here that I have to give you enough information or I won't do any good at all. You'll just think, well, what does that have to do with anything? So we'll continue this next time. Let's close. Father, thank you for your faithfulness in providing your mighty word to us and for us, giving us the grace system of perception that we can understand it. We need you. We need your word. We need the Holy Spirit. Uh, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so we can work on His power, operate on His power. And we just pray that you will keep us in your, in your power, in your word, because we're going to need it for sure. And we just thank you for never leaving us or forsaking us and for the great promises that lift us out of the mire of drudgery and dread and up on the solid rock of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we anxiously anticipate His coming. We pray that You will help us to keep this circulating in our stream of consciousness. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.